Welcome back to the Spiritually Intimate Conversations podcast. I am your host, Blair Dreesen. And today we are going into another topic for our series of the Women's Health, Healing, and Connecting Deeper to Our Bodies series. And this conversation that we get to have today is one that I, again, I've been seeing kind of pop up a lot. I feel like a lot of these conversations have been happening this way. Like I'm going to get set to record um, a conversation that all of a sudden I start seeing being talked about more and more and more. Um, and I've been getting asked questions around this in terms of how do we become better advocators for ourselves in our health journey, especially when we're maybe being met with not the most supportive doctors, or we're not getting a lot of answers, or maybe we're getting answers, but it's kind of feeling like a, um, like a, well, now there's nothing more you can do. Like you just have to accept that this is now going to be your life and, you know, sorry about your bad luck kind of thing. Cause I, de- I definitely got that energy a couple of times from doctors. Um, so today, uh, we have a guest on the show and we're going to really talk about this. And interestingly enough, she had come to me and was kind of talking to me about this and saying like, Hey, I think this would be fun to like get on and talk about more. And I was like, yes, a hundred percent. Um, so our guest today is Kendra. She is a longtime client of mine. She is a Heal Method alumni. Um, Kendra and me, I think what we, we met with you starting Heal Method. I'm trying to remember, right? Yeah. Like, is that how it went? Yeah. Down? Um, so I was um, a very, very far down underling on the same beach body team. So I would like follow you. And that's how I found out about Heal Method. But us, working together primarily was definitely right at the beginning of, um, heal method. That was like our first container together. Yeah. So it's so interesting. Cause I was just talking about heal method with another heal method alumni before I started recording this episode, I was on, uh, for somebody else's podcast of a heal method alumni. And, um, uh, I just, I love that a lot of the, the people that I have, uh, right now that are, I'm really super close with, and we're having a lot of conversations with a lot of them are heal method alumni. And Patsy was actually on the show earlier when we were talking about sober living. So my heal yeah, method alumni. I know that this isn't a prom- heal method podcast, <laughs> but, um, it definitely was like the two things that launched my, one of the two things that launched my spiritual journey, spiritual, whatever. There was definitely a lot of like what's happening. And, and you had answers for me at that time. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say that you had answers already inside of you. (laughs) (laughs) It was through that process. Yeah. Yes. We opened up to them. Um, so yeah. So Kendra share a little bit first with the audience, like who you are, and what you do, and then kind of like this whole piece of why advocating for your health is so important specifically for you. Yeah. Um, so I'm Kendra. Um, I have my own art business. I am a full-time accountant transitioning into having my art business be full-time. Um, so taking on some bookkeeping clients also, Um, But with the art business, there is kind of two sides to it. I have a life coaching that is going to start here very soon to listen for some announcements um, that are just around um, helping women embrace their divine feminine and healing their inner child using spiritual practices and art. Um, So using like intuitive painting and things like that um, to kind of heal some of those things that hold us all back sometimes. Um, And then on the product side um, is going to be a lot of just either mathematical educational pieces or things that will help you along your spiritual journey. So crystal grids or um, journals, things like that, that will give you tools that will help you along the way. Um, And plenty of things planned for the future, but we don't need to uh, get into that today. Kendra is a Manny Jen, you guys. Okay. So she's got a (laughs) lot. 1000 million ideas. Lots of things. (laughs) (laughs) But I light up every time I talk about them. And that's where I know that this is the path that I'm 
I'm meant to be on. Um, and for the advocating, I also um, fired, well, I guess it is now 2021. So six years ago, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, and it took me a really long time to get to even someone to tell me like, this is what we think you have. Um, I was on my ninth doctor before someone said, I think you have endometriosis, you need to see someone. Um, so how so long before just, that you said like six years is when you got the diagnosis? My of first endometri- sec- yeah. Your first diagnosis. So, how long had you been struggling with that even before that diagnosis? In hindsight, I think I've been struggling with that pain my whole life, but it was mm. so normalized for me, right? It was yeah. so like women in our family have hard, hard periods and, mm. and, you know, like I came from a family who didn't trust doctors. And so I didn't have my first OB. I'm so sorry. My first OBGYN. You're totally fine, dude. Can you edit that out? (laughs) I don't edit anything. (laughs) Great. The audience just Um, knows I roll with it because life happens. This is normal. Yes. Instagram messages coming in when no one's messaged me all day. Okay. So, um, (laughs) I didn't have my first OBGYN appointment until I was in my twenties, right? Like I didn't know anything about sexual health. I didn't, you know, but I was missing weeks of school, um, at a time, like once a month, I'd be missing like a whole week, you know? So I've had hard periods. There were things that like in hindsight, I've been struggling with it, but I started to have this lower back pain in, um, early 2015, end of 2014, early of 2015. And it took me until that September to get someone to give me something. And I went through a colonoscopy, multiple CT scans, ultrasounds, MRIs, um, endoscopy, like all those things during that frame from March to September. So that was six months. That's a lot of six months. Yeah. But that's also nothing compared to some of the women that are in the community that Mm. it could take them 16, 17, 18 years for people just to take them seriously. You know, Mm -hmm. like I feel so blessed, but then on the same note, I know that I went through so much so quickly, Mm -hmm. but that was me saying, no, I don't believe you. I know something's wrong with my body. I'm getting another opinion where some, I know that some people sometimes are just like, okay, we trust the doctor. This is what the doctor's supposed to know. And they know what's right. So I'm not going to question that. And I mm-hmm. think there was a mentality that I had to get out of, of, yes, I don't, I grew up not trusting doctors, but then you're told in school, you're supposed to. And so you have this balance of like, yes, they have a medical license, but you know, your body. Um, and so really that started my advocacy, my first surgery. So I had gone through nine doctors Um, and when I had gotten to the ninth one, she said, I think you have endometriosis. This is all the symptoms, but I don't do surgery in this office. So I have to refer you out again. And I was like, oh, all right, whatever. At this point, you've given me another answer. No one else has. So I don't care. Mm -hmm. So I get, you know, sent to this other doctor and he treated it like a joke. So while he still went through the surgery afterwards, he's like, well, you know, maybe if we get you pregnant we'll see. And then he laughs. And then like, you know, oh, I don't really think that you have it that bad. Um, you just need to get pregnant, like kept bringing up, like, I just need to get pregnant. And I'm like, dude, I've already told you I have these issues. Like it was just, you know, constantly back and forth with this doctor. And I didn't feel comfortable. Like after my surgery, I called in to get my surgical results. And he was like, I don't understand why you want them. Uh, because I want to know what you just did to my body. Oh my God. Why wouldn't I want them? Um, so that, right. I mean, after that, my post-op appointment, I was just like, you know what, this is, this is done. And I ended up finding, um, a Facebook group that really saved my life. And I think that that was the thing that like I started doing one night was just coming home and saying, this doesn't feel right. What he's telling me doesn't match what's in my body. And I know that they say like, don't Google. Cause you're going to, you know, like, you're, you're going <laughs> to die if you have a runny nose and you Google it. Now you have nose cancer. Like you're not supposed <laughs> to do those things, but I did. Like I went to Amazon and I bought every book that there was on endometriosis. I went to Facebook and I found every support group there was. And I ended up finding another doctor who saved my life. I had another surgery a month later. That was four hours long. That was like, you know, so one surgery that was 30 minutes where the guy was treating it like a joke. And a month later I'm going under and she's finding enough that's four hours, you know? So there was mm-hmm. that piece that I learned during that time that was like, 
I will never give up fighting for myself. I will never give up knowing what's inside my body because we are the, you are your own best doctor. Like, you know, something doesn't feel right. I woke up today and this doesn't feel right. Do I know why it doesn't feel right? No, that's where they come in. But there's been a lot in this pelvic floor, OBGYN, women's health. There's all this stigma of these, I don't know what word I'm looking for. I don't want to say dogmatic, but just this story that's been put on women our entire lives, like generations leading up to now that are just, oh, well, you're a woman, you have periods, you shouldn't, you know, like get over it. It's hard. You know, like that's the, it's, it's taboo to talk about. No one wants to talk about women's health and no one wants to talk about pelvic pain and, and the things that can help you and, and how an orgasm might help your pelvic floor. You know, like there's just, it's, it's, people don't want to talk about it. And And so that gave me the passion to say, I'm going to keep talking about it. And I'm going to keep telling people advocate for yourself. There's no other advice than I can give than that. Yes. And I feel like this is huge. Like I know you and me over the years of working together, this has been a huge piece that we've connected in our own journey of just the women's health area with, with doctors. Now I want to obviously say like, I'm not, we're not saying don't trust any doctor, right. (laughs) And we're not giving medical advice and saying like, listen to us and everything that we're saying. But I think it's important what, you know, Kendra is saying is that when you feel like something is not right in your body and you don't feel like you're getting the proper support that you need, that's when it's completely like you should be able to stand in your power and be like, no, something is wrong. I either need a second opinion or I, you know, in learning how to advocate for yourself versus just taking like what anybody says, you know, at face value, because just like you, Kendra, I went through this so much. I was going to doctor after doctor and them all just kind of looking at me like, you know, well, you just have bad periods or it's, you should just go on birth control. I felt like birth control was like the end all be all. It's like the catch all for everything. Yeah. You should be on birth control, but I can't take birth control. I've literally, I've tried. I stopped trying after a long time, but I had tried like every single birth control they had on the market. And every single time I took it, I would get sick. I would get migraines. I would feel horrible. Like I just didn't feel good. And so I would tell them that, and they would say things like, oh, it's probably in your head or, oh, it's probably Mm -hmm. not that bad or, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's probably because you've heard somebody else say that. And I was like, what? I was like, okay. And so I would keep trying and I would keep getting sick. And then I think I remember one of my my gyno saying like, they wanted me to do the, um, uh, what's the one where they, they put the thing in your uterus. What's that device? Uh, oh my gosh. I know what you, it's like, oh I don't know why I can't think of it. Uh, IUD. Uh, yes. An so, IUD. Yeah. I kept wanting to say DNC, which is a completely, completely different, different thing. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, you should just do an IUD. And I'm like, my uterus is angry enough. Now you want to put something in there that, I mean, yes, you could remove it, but are you kidding? I was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that because I I mean, my, I always called my, my uterus just super mad. And the funny thing is, is actually when I was pregnant with Landon, um, I started contracting really early on and the doctor, I shit you not the term she used was, oh, you have irritable, um, you have an irritable uterus. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I know it's irritated, but like, that's the technical term. Like there's not another term. It's just a pissed off uterus. Your body's pissed. (laughs) Yeah. It's just mad. But it was like, that was always the, I, I would always feel like they were talking down to me. I mean, I even had an ultrasound tech when I was having, cause I get really bad hemorrhagic cysts on my ovaries. And now I only have one remaining ovary because me and Kendra both were hister sisters. It's another mm. thing that we connected on. We're, and, we're both the lonely ovary team. Yeah. The lonely ovary <laughs> team. Do, do you have the only, you're right. Yeah. 
yes, my left oh. got taken. At the oh yeah, left my surgery, left got taken so. too. So we're both the, we're the right lonely ovary team, right? <laughs> um, and that one ovary is still, it still likes to pop hemorrhagic cysts from time to time. And I remember going in after one had landed me in the ER and it was horrible. And I remember going in a couple of days later to follow up and they had to do another ultrasound and the ultrasound tech, you know, you really should just get on birth control. No. <laughs> Why aren't you on birth control? This would solve your problems. And I was just remember sitting there like, I want to hit you right, right now. Like, thanks. Why don't you read my chart? Yeah. Just do the <laughs> ultrasound and leave me alone. Cause I just, yeah. I, I was getting so defeated every time I would go into an ER, a doctor's mm-hmm. of just the way they talked to me was just so degrading at times. I don't know how many times I've been asked if I've considered therapy and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a constant, always in therapy. So you can't pull that one on me, you know, like, mm-hmm. or just the, and the, it, mentioning, you said like every time I go to the ER or the doctor's office, like it has still happened. So like, even though I got my diagnosis and I was feeling better, I still have chronic pelvic pain. So there it's, yeah. it's constant issues are coming up or something's coming up and I have to go do this or, you know, I get, I have lumps that one doctor sees, so I have to go get them checked out. And then when I'm there, the, the tech kind of talks to, you know, it's like, it's, it's constant. You're always on edge. Like I'm at a completely different doctor's appointment that has nothing to do with pelvic pain, but I'm still like, are you going to talk down to me the same way that everybody else does? Are you going to make seem like I'm just in here for pain medicine? And I came, I'm not saying anything about the state of Florida because I love where I live but I came from a different state. I came from the state of Ohio down here and, and the pain medicine protocols are very different. When I lived in Ohio, I was able to get my pain medicine prescribed by my family doctor. She managed my opioid prescription. Um, it was very hard for me to get my medical marijuana card, but I was able to get my opioid card and so, or not card, but like get them easily accessible. I didn't have to go through a pain clinic. I worked with, you know, like my family doctor and my OBGYN worked very well together. And so I had a great team when I was up there and then we moved and I felt like I had to start all over again. I had to find Mm. another doctor that was going to understand the condition. I had to find another doctor who was going to say, you know, like, I don't want to jump in surgery and we're not going to do this birth control. And I probably went through two or three doctors when we first moved down here, just finding the correct one. And I still went to Atlanta to a specialist to have my last surgery because there wasn't anyone down here that I was like, I don't trust you with my body. I don't trust you cutting into this and and giving me the answer that I, I mean, I shouldn't say I expect because I don't expect anything when I come out of surgery, but, um, but you expect a certain level of care. Which I feel like like, should, should, it's almost like an unsaid thing. Like you should just get a certain level of care and and being treated as a human that they're, you know, going to be working on. And surgery is so much more than like, there's the physical, obviously incision that you're cutting in and trauma that's being put on the body. But there's an emotional piece to things that I feel like is greatly lacking. 1000%. I think I could have a whole nother conversation on just the emotional pieces of having a surgery like I did, mm-hmm. like just, and so many so close and just what you put your body through when you think like, I just want to feel better. I just want to feel better. And then when it's all over your body's like, okay, great. Now the inside feels better, but you've cut into me five different times and yeah. you're sore and all of that. Um, but returning, you know, like, so when we got down here, I, my first OBGYN that I saw, he was like, you know, if you want anything to manage your pain, you're going to have to go to a pain clinic. And he's like, I can't prescribe anything to you. Um, I, you know, like your family doctor can't do it. The protocols down here is you have to go through a pain clinic. And he's like, I will tell you that once you are on that, you're never getting off. Like there's always going to be on a radar of doctors of you're part of a pain clinic. And I know there's an opioid crisis and I know that there is legitimate reasons for the rules that they have in place. Mm-hmm. It just makes it so hard for those of us that actually need it. Yeah. Um, and I was able to get my medical marijuana card down here a lot easier. And I am able to manage my pain that way versus having to get on, <clears throat> excuse me, pain medicine, which is great. You know, like I prefer to use that versus the pills anyway, but you know, I going into an ER, 
um, and just having them see that I have chronic pain. That's the first thing that anyone sees on my chart, even down here. And it's like, well, where do you feel the pain? We don't see anything on scans. And that's another thing with endometriosis is you don't see it on MRIs. You don't see it on ultrasounds. The only ways to see it or diagnose it is through surgery. And so it just, it puts a whole nother level of people not believing you when you're like, I know something does not feel right on the inside. And they're showing you scans saying, we don't see anything. You have to go see someone else. Or do you want some pain medicine? Can you drive home? Like the last time I went to the ER, the, it was right after my surgery. And all I really wanted to make sure was that my stitches hadn't ripped because they had permanently stitched my ovary to my pelvic wall so that it wouldn't twist on itself like the left one did. And it was pulling really bad. So I just wanted to make sure that everything was fine. And I go in there and right away, they're like, well, you know, are you here for pain medicine? Do you need pain medicine? Like it was all about me getting pain meds. I'm like, I don't care about that. Like I have pain meds from my surgery at home that I haven't taken. Like, all I want to know is, am I okay? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like they just, it was very much about like, we think that this is what you're here for. And so we're not even going to listen to anything that you say. And I ended up having to ask for a different nurse because I felt like she was just constantly like, well, is this what you want? Is this why you're here? You can't really be in that much pain. I don't see anything on your scans. Okay. Bye. Like, I don't, you know, like it just, it's very, it's very hard to, to stand up and say, I don't want to listen to you, but it's also so important to say like, this doesn't seem right to me. Can you explain it? Or, you know, like, just not taking everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. And I've, what I've learned is in this like back and forth with my own journey and different health professionals, when, especially when I'm like in the ER um, or seeing a new doctor, it's understanding that as much as they are really great at doing their job in certain ways, they don't always know or understand my history, my body or the conditions that I'm dealing with. So like, um, like for me personally, when I was going through all my pelvic floor issues, um, and I was really centered around that. And before I got my hysterectomy, I had been diagnosed with, um, oh my gosh. And now the, the name is literally escaping me. It's called, um, oh my gosh how do I not remember my own? It's like pelvic. <laughs> oh my God. It's literally escaping my brain. I haven't said it in so long because I actually haven't talked about it, but essentially what it is, is like varicose veins within your, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't P remember the name, but it PCS. Oh my God. My, my, there it is. PCS pelvic congestion syndrome. Oh my yeah. Lord. I would tell people, oh, I have PCS. They'd mean like, oh, you mean like pelvic cystic ovarian syndrome? I'm like, no, that's PCOS. They're like PCS, pelvic congestion syndrome. What the frick is that? Right. And then I remember being in hospitals and I have to explain to them my own condition because they'd never even heard of it before. Yeah. Right. And then sometimes they're looking at me like, that's a thing. Right. <laughs> like they're right. like, I, I, I don't know. Right. So we have to also, we just have to bear in mind sometimes like the professionals that maybe we're seeing, that's just not their scope there. Yeah. That's yeah. not the lens that they practice medicine in. Right. But I think what is always, again, it always comes back to us being firm in trusting our own body, what our body is telling us. And then being like, I mean, I know that maybe you don't understand this right now, but like, I know how my body's feeling and like, this is what's going on. Yeah. And there's been multiple times where I've just, I've gone to a doctor and said, you know, like, like my family doctor and said, okay, I had this coming up. I'm not sure if it's the endometriosis. I'm not sure if it's something else. Do you have a suggestion? Do you have anywhere? Like, and so then she had me go see an endocrinologist. He says the same thing. Like not everything is related to your endometriosis. Let's run some tests. We ran all the tests. Those come back normal. He says, okay, let's move to this one. And again, it's shifting to these different things, but it's also recognizing like having trust in your professionals, but also having trust in your own instincts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like that, 
I for so long didn't trust my own instincts. And I think this process of being diagnosed and going through what I did gave me a level of trust with myself that I never knew I could have. Yeah. Um, So when it comes to advocating for yourself, like say, so for the people that are maybe listening to this right now and they, they're, they're going through it. Cause I find that I hear this a lot, especially with women. And especially when it comes to the the gynecologist, like I don't, that one area specifically, it gets hit the hardest for women. Um, and I think you had brought it up. There's a lot of things that they just don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about pelvic floor. They don't want to talk about sexual health. They don't want to talk about like orgasms. They don't want to talk about, um, really a, a lot of pieces of our uterus and our ovaries and just like that whole area. Right. So for women that are right now, they know like something doesn't feel right. Right. But they're getting met like what we're hearing. Oh, well, we just have bad periods or that's just, you know, normal to have a lot of cramping, or you just need to be always on birth control, or you just need to go get pregnant or you blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you suggest for people when they're in that same position that you were in? Like what, um, how do you start advocating? I think what worked best for myself was, and again, this probably goes to my profile and how I like to learn because I, um, armed myself with knowledge. I read articles, I read books, I got in Facebook groups. Um, There is a couple, you know, this is endometriosis specific, but there was a couple groups out there that have a list of doctors that do the special excision that is supposed to be like the highest quality of care that you can get for it. Like that's the best thing you can do is get it excised out. Mm -hmm. And so they have this international list of doctors. And I just went from that list and started researching. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like doing some of that own backend research myself, and then having this, the information about what the disease itself was, you know, like you said, you kind of had to tell those people, this is what my disease is. I kind of did the same thing, like, because one of the things the first surgeon said to me was, well, you only had a little tiny pinprick of endometriosis. I don't think it was causing your pain. And I was able to look at him and say, but everything I've researched and everything I've, I've heard is that the amount of pain isn't correlated to the amount that is found. And, you know, so that was just that first step was education and research. And then that second step was gaining the confidence to go find another doctor, you know, like, I think there was a piece of me that didn't want to be considered doctor shopping. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was really hard for me to, to say like, okay, I don't feel like we're a good fit, but that was also learning to honor my energy and say the energy between you and I are not a good fit, you know, like, listen, as you're in the appointment, listen to your intuitions, listen to the energy that's in the room, listen to what they're saying. And if they say something that you haven't, doesn't align with what you've researched, ask them, you know, like, I think that that's the thing in the gynecological world is that women are so scared to speak up to their doctors and ask questions, you know, like, even if they don't have the answers, oh, a good doctor says, I don't have that, but let me find out for you instead of lying and pretending to have the answer, you know, like someone who's not concerned about the ego will say, I don't know that. And I will help you find that. Yeah. And I think that that's important to just, you know, educate research and, and use your voice. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to recognize maybe when you're working with a doctor who is essentially gaslighting you (laughs) in the middle of a conversation, right. They're starting to minimize your own pain level or talking to you about your own, your own experience. I think that that is a massive red flag that I've now Mm -hmm. learned that if I'm ever in an exchange with a medical professional who starts to downplay my own experience or pain levels and tries to tell me that's not how it really is. I'm like, no, this, this, you're not in my body. Thank you. (laughs) You're not in my body. You don't know what it feels like. And I know for a long time for me, when it came to advocating for myself, I didn't want to be considered the difficult patient. 
right? I was worried that, oh God, if I say something and I'm a difficult patient, then they're not going to give me the the kind of care or I'm going to piss them off or, or whatever. And I think they're going to red flag me. They're going to, yeah, I'm a friend. I have the red, red flag in my file, this magical file that's out in the medical world all across (laughs) the United States. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's like, for me, I can recognize that it definitely came from, I got pregnant with my oldest, not like super young, but young enough. I was only 20 years old when I got pregnant with him. And I just remember my gynecologist at the time was just very like one, she clearly was not happy that I got pregnant at the age that I did. She was clearly bringing in her own personal opinions of my life and was treating me differently. And I remember in the very first three months of pregnancy. So I, I smoked, people don't know this about me. I used to smoke when I was a teenager from like 16 until 20 or 15 to 20, I, I smoked. Um, and when I got pregnant, I ended up quitting smoking. Well, a lot of times you quit smoking and you're going to gain weight, um, from quitting. That's very normal. It can happen on top of the fact that now I'm pregnant. I'm 20 years old. I wasn't eating like a hundred percent the best anyways. Cause I was, you know, right. young or whatever. Most, You're 20, right. I'm 20, most 20 year olds, you know, I was living off of like a lot of fast food and stuff. And even though I was like shifting the food I was eating because I was like, Oh, I'm pregnant now. I should eat better. It still wasn't like the best, the best. I could have had a lot of room to, uh, to improve. So I remember that first three months I ended up gaining like a lot of weight for the first trimester when usually you're not really supposed to gain like really any weight at all. And I kid you not, this woman shamed me so hard core. Like she was mad at me. Like how dare I? Cause I think I gained like 10 pounds in the first like oh my. three months. Like what? And she was pissed at me. You cannot be doing this. This is so bad for you. And I felt like, so she always talked to me like I was a child and she was a parent. And so she would shame me. She never treated Mm -hmm. me like a a, a 20 year old, now adult adult pregnant with my first child. So I remember this experience very, very clearly. And so being shamed for nine months of pregnancy, gaining, I gained like 75 pounds during that pregnancy. So every single time I would come in, she would shame me and get mad at me and yell at me that I was gaining more weight to the point that when I went into labor, so I ended up getting like a uh, high blood pressure and I was put on bu- uh, bed rest because I was starting to get uh, toxemia or, or whatever. I think that's what it's called. Um, and so they needed to, they were like, well, we're going to induce labor. And so I went in and they put this thing in called a, um, oh my God, I can't remember, but it's like, basically like a water balloon that they shove into your cervix to like help dilate your cervix so that the next day when they bring you in to like induce you, your cervix has already started to kind of like open up and like begin the process before they start the Pitocin. This, I, I was like, I asked her how, like, would this actually send me into, to labor? Like, what's the chances of this happening? Oh no, that won't happen. It doesn't happen. Nobody's ever gone into labor. From the time that I left her office to getting to my apartment, I was having contractions and oh I was God. freaking out because I'm having the pain from my cervix on top of contractions. And I don't know what's going on. So it just feels like constant pain. And I'm like screaming and my crying. And my ex-husband was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you need to call them right now. And he calls and they're like, oh, she's probably just a little stressed. Like put her in the bath. She'll relax. And I remember sitting in the bath and I'm like this, I'm not fucking relaxing. I start screaming mm-hmm. at him. I was like, if you don't fucking take me back there right now, I swear to God. And so he calls them again. He's like, I really, she's really pissed. Like I'm, she's scaring <laughs> me. So he brings me back down. And I'm sitting in the room. I'm going to die. She comes in and looks at me and she's like doing one of those, like rolling her eyes as she's getting her gloves on. She looks Mm. like she's pissed. Like how dare I'm taking time out of her day. Right. Okay. I mean, I'll check it. I mean, you're here. I guess we'll see what's going on. Sure enough. I'm in full blown labor. She's like, that's never happened. Oh, sure. Lady. 
She's like, I've, that's never happened before. I'm, I, I just don't even know. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm glad I'm the unicorn. Can you like help me now? Cause like I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying and I'm in pain. No, I'm dying in pain. Get over yourself. Help me. Right. Like, so like, I obviously like, that was a huge learning experience for me in that moment. I remember like, I, I stopped. She was not my gyno after that. I found another gyno. Um, but like that traumatized me. Like my whole labor experience was horrible because I was dealing with her, how I was treated after my labor horrible. Cause I was dealing with her. And so by the time I had labor with my second, I, there was so much trauma around it. Like so much, I was panicking. And again, I don't want to be a bad patient. I don't want to piss everybody off, blah, 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 blah. Because every time I would say anything, like I had a gyno who basically shamed me, yelled at me and made me feel horrible. Every yeah. time I went in her office for nine months. Oh. Well, that's, you know, that's a whole, an, a, another part of the conversation of doctors just using like, well, you need to lose a little bit of weight as mm, like mm-hmm. the reason why things are happening the way they are. That's always like the, if it's not birth control, you need to lose weight. Yeah. And I'm not, um, if, again, we're not saying that no. being at a healthy weight isn't optimal. Clearly that clearly, is, but, clearly, <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah, losing but weight isn't is the end all be all for every single right everything. You know, like, obviously I wouldn't be to the point where I'm at if I didn't think that, you know, like I'm trying, but, um, again, another conversation for another day, but, but that's really disheartening even for you, right? Like if you're having, like, if you are trying to lose weight or eat better and you already are doing those things, and then you have a doctor flat, look at you and say, well, you just need to lose weight. I mean, that's like nails on a chalkboard if that's something you're already actively trying to do and you're clearly, and it's, it's a struggle or the pain is so bad that it becomes a struggle to move your body or, or things of that nature. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's to the point that I got before this last surgery was I have been stuck at this certain weight for almost two years. Like it fluctuated five or 10 pounds, but it was this consistent weight. And I kept going to doctors and saying like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I think maybe something's with my thyroid or my hormones. Like this doesn't feel endometriosis related, but Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, like I'm just, I'm stagnant. And I, and then I'd be, have the one guy be like, the one doctor was like, are you eating enough calories in the day? Cause you know, like if you under eat that obviously slows your metabolism and then you're not. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like I know at one point I wasn't and there was some digestion things going on, but I was like, no, I feel like I'm fine. He's like, well, how many coffees do you have a day? He's like, people don't realize that there's 200 or 2000 calories in certain coffees. And I'm like, I'm counting that in when I'm telling you, you know, like mm-hmm. I told you, this is what I'm, you know? So it was like almost trying to discredit what I was saying to him. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like it's what I'm eating. I don't feel like it's this. And he's like, well, did you think of that? Yes. I thought of that. <laughs> I'm, you know, like it just, it's, it's a constant back and forth, but, um, that was told to me a lot with like right before my surgery. And then it got to the point where my bowel movements, I, all that was happening was blood, like all I'm not to get like too graphic or into too much detail, but I wasn't gaining or losing any weight because I wasn't retaining my nutrients, but no Mm. one told me that until I got to my endometriosis doctor that was like, okay, you might have some, some implants on your, um, bowel. We don't know. We'll see that when we go in, but obviously there's something going on that your body, because what I was eating was going through so fast that my body basically didn't have time. Like it was Mm. just coming straight up, you know, like I wasn't absorbing anything and I was eating it and I was immediately going to the bathroom and there wasn't triggers of certain foods. Like it started out being triggers of certain foods, but then it started becoming everything. And then, you know, that goes back to for a while, even before I got my endometriosis, um, the seeing the specialist in Atlanta, I went back and forth between the gastro and the OBGYN because obviously those two were so close together. And it was a, you know, well, we've done everything we can do for you here. You've got to do this now. Okay. Well, we've done everything we can do here. And now you've got to do this. And it did, it was ended up being related to the endometriosis. And I got another diagnosis, but, um, 
there is just, sometimes it is very defeating and sometimes it's okay to just sit in that defeatedness. And is that a word? Um, <laughs> sit, just sit in that defeat and, and know that like your story's not over and today might've been a harder day, but that there's always chances to advocate for yourself too. Yeah. There's, you know, you know, again, you just, you know, what's inside your body. So yeah. And I think what I, I love about you were sharing, not only about how, when you were learning how to advocate for yourself, you're like, I, I was arming myself with information. And I feel like that's an important thing for people, especially, I feel like now it's been a huge topic of conversation about just learning more, getting more information, really becoming more, um, just like more consciously aware and clicked in to what is going on and really understanding your body more. But in that process, you were also, you were connecting in with other women that were going through a lot of what you were going through. So you're gathering information, you're understanding more about what's going on with your body, but then you're also listening to other women's experiences. Now, obviously everybody is different. Every body is different. Like that's a huge thing that we need to understand. Um, and, but it's, it's so helpful when you get around a community of women that are, maybe they all have endometriosis or they've all had chronic pain, or they've all had maybe a traumatic birth story, or they've all dealt with, you know, whatever the situation may be. When you come together with other women, you're able to listen and talk and share and swap stories. It is not only helpful in terms of like the information that you gather, but also just the support, because like what you're saying is there's days where sometimes you come back from a doctor's appointment, or you need to go meet with a new doctor, or you feel like you're not getting answers. That network of women I know that I found when I was going through different pieces of my health journey, it felt so good knowing that at least somebody understood what I was going through. I listened yeah, somebody I could talk to that got it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, like reaching out to a friend that, you know, has gone through it. Or, I mean, I, I straight up just went on Facebook in the, in the group search and typed endometriosis and then found ones that were closer to my area. And, and that what, there was one group that was specific to Ohio and it really, it really did save my life because there was, it was one of those pieces in that beginning that was like, just being able to be around the, the people that are going through the same thing, you know, like today I woke up in bad pain and they understood what that meant. And I didn't have to under explain to everybody. I had to call off today because I had a really bad period and people in that group were going to understand it where my husband, well, God bless him has listened to a lot of stories. I'm sure he doesn't want to listen to <laughs> same with mine <laughs> level of comfort that's outside of the family. Um, that's also just can understand what you're going through. There's, there's nothing. And I guess maybe because of, um, one of my love languages being words of affirmation. And I just, I love talking. I love community. I love comparing stories and and sharing with each other and being able to help each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is definitely, I'm very glad you brought that up. It's a huge piece of what got me through those first couple of years for sure. Yeah. I I would gather to think that that made it easier for you to advocate for yourself. Right. Because it's like, sometimes when you have like a whole cheerleading squad behind you, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's also, and it's like this, okay, so you're, you're going into your doctor's appointment. Yeah. You're armed with information, but then you're also armed with other actual lived experiences, which even, even in that though, I had gotten shamed a little bit by doctors, right? Because I would come in and I would be like, well, I'm not the only one and blah, blah. And I would, I had some doctors, oh, you're in one of those hysterectomy groups. Oh, great. Right. Because then they would Mm -hmm. be like, so you're just all these women sitting around talking about your hysterectomy recovery. And so blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Oh my God, like again, (laughs) red flag. Like if you can't like (laughs) see that, like clearly it's not rare or, uh, it's only me. If I've met, you know, hundreds of other women say the exact, if not thousands, 
yeah, of other women that are feeling the same way as me or have had the exact same experience as me with this. So yeah, I feel like that in terms of advocating can be really good. So what are some of the, I feel like sometimes even just having like armed with questions, right. Or like Mm -hmm. a a checklist. I feel like we've kind of gone over a couple of things, right. Like certain red flags, certain things to ask, but. Um, I use Pinterest a lot. Like, I know that's going to sound really funny, but, um, (laughs) they had these like cute little graphics that were like, things to ask your doctor. Hmm. Um, and I also found this book on Amazon that, um, I wish I had it near me. It's called like the women's survival guide to endometriosis or something along the lines, but Mm -hmm. they had a section in there that was about like questions to make sure you're asking your doctor. And I thought that that was super powerful. Um, but I remember, you know, like when I went into that first OBG, my first surgeon, the the guy who kind of treated it as a joke, I didn't go in there with any questions, any, like I went in there with, I just want to be out of pain. And this one doctor told me that you could do my surgery and give me a diagnosis. Um, and when I went to my second one, I have, I had like an Aaron Condren notebook and it's funny because the doctor and I joked about it, like after my hysterectomy and we had moved, it was my last appointment with her. She was like, do you remember when you first walked in my office? She was like, you were so upset and you were crying. And she was like, you pulled out, you know, you had your big purse. And she's like, you pulled out your big notebook with three pages of questions. And, (laughs) you know, you were just armed with information and you were asking me everything. And, you know, like that, that doctor was really what made me feel for the first time heard as a Mm. patient. Like she sat there and answered every one of my questions, even though she had already done that in the hour prior, you know, like she had just was so compassionate. And if there are any doctors and nurses listening to this, all I have to say is just make sure that you listen when you're paying, you know, like it might be annoying. It might be running you a little bit behind, but listen, that was the thing that I think that attracted me the most to her was listening, her listening to that. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, I think a lot of the questions by the time that I got there were related around surgery, related around like more specifics into the disease, because I had learned so much about it. In hindsight, I wish I would have asked more of like, what does a surgery entail? What, you know, of that first surgeon, because by the time I got to my second surgery, I knew what to expect. And so I didn't really ask those questions of her. Um, but you know, like what, what does it mean to have endometriosis? What does this mean for my future? What does it mean when I, you know, have this surgery, what's my life going to be like after? Um, and even just going in and him saying like, I don't know why we're doing this surgery. I don't think you have it you know, like, and then returning that with a question of, you know, Kendra now would have been like, then why are you doing it? (laughs) Kendra back then is like, I don't know, because I just don't want pain, you know, like there's just the, yeah, I, I, I can't off the top of my head think of specific questions that are the best to say, make sure you ask this because I feel like it's so personalized to your personal situation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, and it also depends on where you're feeling unsupported, where I was feeling unsupported was just the fact of no one telling me anything. Yeah. And and not feeling like I was getting the answers that made sense. Yeah. So I think like uh, what probably we could take from this is not always so much like, because finding the right questions to ask, will still come back to you really entrusting your own intuition of what's going to, what you're needing in that moment. So ultimately it's about recognizing red flags within your provider and reckoning like if at any moment something feels off, like to trust that and not to automatically assume it must be me. Like I'm the reason why, like, I just, I'm, I don't want to be difficult or they just know more than I do. And I should just like sit here and not say anything or just take what they've said to me and like, leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just the 1000%, like (laughs) just the, 
knowing what your energy is, knowing what you feel like listening to your instinct, listening to your gut, listening to whatever it is that you know is your yes for you in whatever Mm -hmm. process that is, just knowing that like listening to that, you have an internal voice for a reason and don't ignore it. And I think for so long, women are taught that that internal voice isn't meant to be heard and it Mm -hmm. is and you know that if there is any part of you that is questioning then ask it because there's obviously something in your mind that is not 100% on it and even if you think it's silly and even if it's like why do I poop three times a day now it may not be you know a question that you're comfortable asking or may not even seem relevant, but it could be something that could help them. Or it could be the reason that you say, you know what, you're not going to be able to help me. And you move on to find someone else. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize like, you know, even you just saying like, why do I poop this, this much? Like everybody is so different in in healthcare. What I've seen is that we've lost that personal touch Mm -hmm. between a provider and the patient that they're not always, at least, and then that's my experience and the experience that I've seen from a lot of women that they just don't feel like they're treated as a woman, as a human, as somebody who is clicked in with their body. They're just being treated very much like a number, you know, they're being treated like how, you know, a very broad way of treating the majority of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know for me, it was, I had been advocating for myself for a long time and feeling like it was always this uphill battle until like what you said, I found a provider who really listened to me. And for me, it was seeing a natural path. And when I met my natural path, I was just like, I've never been treated like this before. She the just listens asked, to me. Like, yeah, like the feeling on? that you get, the feeling of euphoria that you get when you sit in your car after that first appointment. I, I just got shows talking about it. Like mm-hmm. after when you have that first appointment, that first time that someone really listens to you, it's like a sigh of relief. Yeah. Like I sat in my car and probably cried for a good 20 minutes. Like she didn't make me feel dumb. And this is amazing. You know, like, and now I found, and, and I too personally have found that again here. Um, Mm -hmm. and in Florida, again, like I found another doctor that was like, after that, cause I had to find a new OBGYN that was local after I did my surgery out of state. And I had someone, um, I think it was through my family doctor recommended him or one of the other appointments, gastro doctor, one of the doctors I was at recommended him. Um, And immediately when I went in there, I started the conversation with, I'm having this surgery. I know why I'm having it. These are the things that are going to happen. This is his plan. Here's, you know, like I'm giving him all the paperwork. I was like, so I'm here for aftercare. I don't want birth control. I don't want to be on this. And this is what I expect. And he's like, you know, I appreciate a patient that knows what they want. And we just kind of like went into this conversation, but he, um, he listened to the fact that like, I didn't want birth control and he has Mm -hmm. not brought that up. You know, like when we got to the point where it was like, okay, some of my nerve pain is still presenting itself. What are we going to do? He didn't, he knew from the beginning that was my choice and he honored it. And that's, I think, so powerful is when you find someone that honors your choices, because not everyone has to be the same. Not everyone has to have that, you know, and, and it was, it was so refreshing for him to just find another option or have another option right away ready for me Mm -hmm. because I went in and said, I'm not going to do this. And that's not what I want. So don't try Yeah, because it's, you know, it's. And again, Kendra, five years ago, wouldn't have done that, but it's, you get practice after a while starting to stand up for yourself, unfortunately. Well, it's, I mean, but it's about establishing boundaries for yourself. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, I've had to do that with providers as well of being very clear in my boundaries. And I think that that's a lot of times why women struggle to be able to advocate for themselves is because they don't understand that they can create a boundary with their provider of the type of level of care that they're looking for. 
And like you've said, like not every provider is the perfect match for every single patient. And so we just need to be okay with that instead of continually forcing ourselves to go see somebody that clearly makes us feel like shit when we leave and just say like, there's how many doctors and nurses and there's, you know, natural paths and functional medicine doctors and there's a wide range of doctors that practice medicine in a wide range of different ways. And so it's just finding what works best for you and your body so that you ultimately are getting the results that your body needs. And I feel like, um, the more I understood how to set that boundary for myself, the better, because then the minute a provider crossed that boundary with me, you know, I would, it made me realize like, this is not the correct space for me because much like you, the last gynecologist that I saw, because I had another hemorrhagic cyst at the beginning of summer, it was like end of May, beginning of June, I had to go in and I had the feeling like the last gynecologist that I'd been seeing every time I'd see him, he just kind of still did this. Like, I mean, I just don't know what to do. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know, figure it out, research it, send me somewhere else. And every time I'd see him, I don't know what to do. So I was like, fine, I'm going to go find another gynecologist. And much like you, I sat down and I was very firm in my boundaries. Like I'm here because of this hemorrhagic cyst. I've had hemorrhagic cyst for a long time. This has been a problem. I'm not going on birth control because the, the times that I explained my history of birth control, the first thing he said to me, you really just need to go on birth control. (laughs) That is really what's going to fix this. And if you're not willing to go on the birth control, like, and you just started. And I was like, yep, nope, never going back to see him. I remember getting my car and I'm like crying and calling my husband. I was like, I just don't understand. Like why I can't, like, I can't take the birth control. I wish I could. Like, can we just explore any other option? There has to be another option to helping yeah. me with this. This can't be it. <laughs> this can't be it. <laughs> like, so, and I, again, I think that ignited again, that just like, I'm going to advocate for myself. I am putting this boundary. I knew in my body, I was like, there has to be another way to support me in this way. This cannot be the only thing. Right. And I, so I think like, like you're saying, the more that you do it, the, the easier it becomes and the firmer you get in your boundaries. And then it led me to the doctor that I'm, I'm working with right now. And I've never been so supported and loved and held. And I feel like I can message her whenever I don't feel like I'm bugging her. Like right. she's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We need more of those in the world. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, yes. Uh, so I'm trying to think like, now that you are in this space of like better being able to advocate for yourself, um, how do you feel like that has shifted just your healing in general? Um, you know, I, I think that it actually has accelerated, um, my physical healing. So in, advocating for myself and doing the research, I learned a lot about post-op care as well. Um, And so as things progressed, I learned like, okay, this is something that's going to work for me. This isn't going to work for me. Um, I pushed really hard for pelvic floor therapy, which Mm -hmm. is so important. Anybody that can ever have a chance to do it, that is having pelvic pain, that is like magic. Pelvic floor therapy is magic. And if you're, this is the episode that you're just jumping in on with this series, the very first episode we did to kick the series off is I interviewed a woman who is in pelvic floor therapy. And so I, I highly recommend if you're like, what is that? Go back and listen to that episode. Um, it's called like, uh, what every woman needs to know, or I think that's what it's called. What every woman needs to know it's with Kim, the vagina coach that probably okay. people will remember. And they will go back and find the vagina coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a couple episodes back, but yes, yeah. I had to advocate pelvic- hugely for that. Like that yes, was me too. hard to get me too. And it was harder down here. Like I didn't learn about it. I learned about it from my amazing doctor in Ohio. That was like, she it was no hesitation. As soon as, you know, like my first appointment, she diagnosed me with a pelvic floor dysfunction 
And I immediately went into, after your surgery, you're going to do pelvic floor therapy. Then after the, so that would have been my second first with her. So it was like third overall surgery. I just immediately asked for it. Like she didn't bring it up, but I was like, I want that again. Um, but then when we came down here and I was like starting to experience pain again, I was like, I want to try pelvic floor therapy. I think that that's really going to help me because I do carry a lot of my stress in my pelvis. Mm -hmm. I know it, that might sound weird to a lot of people because most people carry their stress in their shoulders. Mm -hmm. I'm like relaxing. Right. Like as we talk, like everyone, as I say that everyone dropped their shoulders. But even when you were Um, saying that I was noticing, like, I carry tension in my pelvis. So I like felt it. Like, yeah, like I carry a lot of tension and a lot of stress in there. And so when I started feeling comfortable advocating for myself, when I started feeling comfortable knowing that I'm able to get the things that I want, all that stuff that I was carrying in there didn't hurt so bad anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the physical ailments started to go down because my stress started to go down because I wasn't feeling so like a burden, so unheard, so minimal in a world full of people who have the same things going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But then even mentally, I think it made me stronger to advocate for other things within other areas of my life, right? Like, Mm, yeah, I, I now am strong to set this boundary with this stranger why can I not set this boundary with this significant other? Or why can't I set this boundary with this family member? Um, And so I started to see it transfer into other areas where I started to feel really confident in saying, I'm going to put this here and I don't care what you say. You know, like there's a level of once you feel, and I'm not saying I'm perfect because there are definitely days where like there's no confidence, but when you feel confident in your health, when you feel confident in what you know what's going on with you, you're gonna, it's gonna radiate in all places. It's gonna, yes. it's gonna flow. I think I love that you brought that up, that the power of advocating for yourself, not only did it accelerate your physical healing on like, and there were so many layers to that of how that kind of like transcended for you, but it also allowed you to recognize, like, if I can advocate here, I can advocate in other areas. If I can place this boundary here, I can place boundaries in other areas Because ultimately when it comes down to it, like if we're not advocating for our physical health, our well-being, our body, like, I mean, what are, what are we doing? Cause it's like, this is our body. We should be going to our temple. This is Mm -hmm. our temple and be treating it as such. And if we're going into spaces where it's not being treated that way, like, fuck yes, we need to advocate for our body. And I think it's powerful when we ignite that in that type of a setting, how the ripple effect of how it literally, like we start treating everything like the temple in our life, right? We start treating everything as the priority and the importance and recognizing like, you know, boundaries and advocating is it's so, so imperative for our overall health, our wealth, our mental and emotional state, like our relationships, like everything is impacted greatly by that. Yeah. 100%. Well, oh my gosh, Kendra, this was a lot. This is so yeah. good. Yeah. Very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much. Uh, Kendra, how can people get in contact with you? Because I know you had mentioned a couple of really wonderful things that you're going to have coming. Um, or yeah. maybe somebody just wants to reach out and talk to you, you know, that they're maybe yeah, struggling the- with endometriosis or, or things and they just want to connect with you? Um, the best way I would say is Instagram. I'm at, at Kendra Judy 83. Um, pretty simple. And I can be found on Facebook, but I spend the majority of my time on Instagram. Okay. So that is the main, um, and within my Instagram, I have a, um, link in bio that has, um, a link to my website. So you can look at any products I have available and that will be where, Um, once I start the coaching containers and the the intuitive art courses and things like that, you, the announcements will be made through that page. I'm really super excited about the intuitive art thing because art therapy, I, I love it. And it's perfect for you, you guys, like 
when you go and check out Kendra's stuff, you're going to be like, of course she should be doing art therapy. Like <laughs> this is going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. It was um, something new that kind of came up recently and I've really been doing my research. So I love I'm, it. I'm excited. I love it so much. So yes, in the show notes, you guys, I will put all of Kendra's information so you can easily just go down there, click on it, go check out Kendra and everything that she's doing in the world. All the wonderful, like all the wonderful things, just like a true Manny Jen does. Um, and if you enjoyed this conversation, which I'm sure you did, because I've been getting a lot of people asking me about this topic specifically, go ahead and share this uh, with your friends, with your fellow women in your life that you want to help support them in their journey to being able to better advocate for themselves. Feel free to message me, message Kendra. If you have questions, tag us on social media. Uh, with your takeaways. Um, and we would love to hear from you and your stories, because like we said, the more that we come together and we share our stories and we become more vocal in, um, our stories, the more that women get to heal because more women start to feel like they are seen, they are heard and they are understand understood in their journey. And they can then get the better support that they need in their healing journey. So thank you so much, Kendra, for coming on the show. And thank you talking, for having me, of course, and talking about this more in depth. And I will see you guys on the next episode.